The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. This is the first podcast I've recorded since the COVID-19 crisis unfolded, and I'm very excited to share this conversation with you all. My guest is Miyoko Shino, the founder and CEO of Miyoko's Creamery. But we don't really talk too much about her products or her company today. I invited Miyoko on the podcast to specifically talk about the COVID-19 crisis because I believe she is one of the most insightful leaders in the plant-based food industry. She's also not afraid to tackle tough issues and communicate the truth, no matter how inconvenient it may be for some. We cover a lot during this conversation, from how the crisis impacted her company to the long-term impacts on consumer behavior and the food system. Miyoko and I truly don't hold back or filter our opinions on what this crisis is revealing about ourselves, as well as factory farming, or even what it is going to take for plant-based food startups to survive and thrive in the challenging months and years ahead. I really enjoyed talking to Miyoko, and this conversation left me feeling inspired about creating a better food system and hopefully a better future. Yoko Schinner, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. I am so thrilled to be here. And we have to eat for the planet, so let's figure that out. <laughs> yeah, now more than ever, right? So this isn't a normal time, and I don't want to pretend like this is just any other episode of this podcast. And so I wanted to take the time we have today to address the the obviously the the hot topic of the times that we are facing um the covid crisis the covid-19 crisis um and kind of understand how you've been dealing with this personally as well as at your company and then hopefully address some bigger picture issues about what this means for the future of food um and specifically for the future of plant-based uh food so let's start off with how are you i guess that's the most important question these days <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm doing great. I feel very blessed. You know, I live in a, a beautiful part of Northern California and uh, out in the country. I have acres and acres around me. I have a farmed animal sanctuary. So in many ways, um, for me, it's it sort of feels like a staycation because I was on the road so much prior to this, and all of a sudden, right when COVID hit, I was just about to go on the road again uh, to some conference where I was giving a talk or something like that. I don't remember. But, I, you know, I had a really packed March and April with travel um, abroad. And, and all of a sudden it was canceled. Everything was canceled. And I had about two weeks where it's like, oh, my God, my, my life just opened up and I can stay at home on weekends. And, 
And, uh, you know, of course there was a lot of fear around that, but, but, uh, but basically I, what I'm saying is that I, I just feel so blessed compared to the rest of the world. I mean, I, I really, really, my heart goes out to so many people that, um, you know, just are in smaller apartments in the city or that are really suffering food shortages. I mean, there is so much, so much pain and suffering right now going on in people's lives. So, um, you know, I feel it's unfair even to ask me how I'm doing because I have not had to suffer as much. And so, uh, you know, what that does is it says if you're in a position to give, you have to give, which is why we have our food truck on the road every day giving out uh, feeding the homeless, um, the hospital workers, community centers, school children. We're out there every single day, um, you know, trying to give as much as we can to the community. I think what you said there is so important that if people's biggest problem right now is that you're home and you're bored, then you really need, to, it's time to reassess your priorities because, uh, and hopefully the time at home is going to make people really sit and um, take time to think about where they spend their time and uh, what is important to them. And I think it's, there's so many lessons to be learned from this, but first and foremost, uh, helping those that are in need, uh, if you ha are able to and you have the resources to do that is, is, of course, something that everyone should be considering. And a lot of people are. I mean, a lot of people are out there giving, which is it's a huge opportunity for us to learn about, you know, uh, philanthropy in the context of our own lives. Um, so, you know, never before. I mean, we've got world hunger doubling. Yeah. Um, it's it's just we, these are unprecedented times and we ha there's more ahead of us. Um, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And so we have to take action. Each and every one of us who is who's in the position to take action must take action. Um, but I know you started asking me about um, <laughs> not just me personally, but the company. And yeah. we're going to get to bigger picture things later. So, yeah, it seemed like we were all heading to Expo West in March, yes, and then suddenly that got canceled, and then, and then two weeks later, the whole world stopped. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. It was a Monday afternoon, and I was going to take off for Expo West on Tuesday the next morning. Um, and ex and and then uh, we decided internally that we were not going to go to Expo, and then that was Monday morning, and then Monday afternoon, Expo West canceled. Um, said we're not doing the show, which was I think really uh, I'm I'm really glad New Hope did that. That was the right decision. Um, and the world changed. It, it definitely changed for not just for the world, but for businesses, for the natural food industry, for plant based businesses. And everyone was caught wondering, what do I do next? Especially all the startups that were going to make their debut at Expo West. All of a sudden it was like, how do we get our product out there? How do we reach buyers? What do we do? Um, you know, that was the biggest that is the world's biggest showcase for natural products. Uh, if you're just getting started, like you have to be there and, mm -hmm. and get your food in the mouths of buyers and people were just all of a sudden caught without a plan. And everyone had to go back and scramble and rethink their business plan, rethink their annual operating plan, their budgets, everything, you know, um, and that's what we had to do. You know, we had to, first of all, figure out, OK, um, how do we keep our employees safe? That was the number one priority. Um, you know, what happens if someone gets sick? Mm -hmm. And so we completely did an analysis of uh, everything from um, benefits packages to make sure, for example, if anyone got sick during this period for any reason whatsoever. We wanted to encourage people not to come to work to, to look for a paycheck. 
you know, because a lot of people will have a cold, but they don't want to lose their paycheck. So they go to work anyway. And we didn't want to put any pressure on anyone. So we decided automatically everyone gets paid two weeks for anything. You know, even if you're not tested, you don't need to prove that you have COVID. If you have a cold, stay home, you're going to get paid. Um, And, um, you know, that we felt that that was the first right thing to do to mm-hmm. because it, we just can't have we just can't take any risk. I mean, with so many asymptomatic people, et cetera. And then we decided to sacrifice efficiency for safety by, um, you know, because we're an essential business, meaning that we're actually producing food. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not just a sales and marketing organization with co-packers, um, which we also have, but you know, we are actually producing food. So we decided to sacrifice efficiency by. Uh, separating all the shifts. We operate 24 hours a day and we just, and the shifts overlap by about 30 minutes. And we decide to separate the shifts by 30 minutes so that uh, people came in contact with as few people as possible. Now, luckily we're not like a slaughterhouse where you have to stand right next to each other. There is pretty much at least six feet between um, each person anyway, if not more, uh, you know, because we'll have like, let's say our butter line only has about four people on it. Um, and it's, you know, it's cranking butter all day long because it's largely an automated process. So mm-hmm. people are mostly standing, you know, 10, 15, 20 feet apart anyway. But where we could, uh, we tried to put, um, we have members of the same family working together. So we tried to, if we had to have people in close, closer proximity, we tried to sort of pair things or we tried to reassess which groups work together. So if even if they were in the same family, if there was a task that needed to be done by three people, we made sure that those three people were only in contact with each other and, and not other groups. So we really kind of regroup people uh, to minimize um, contact. Um, and then, of course, you know, our office workers um, uh, started working remotely. And then we just expanded the break room to make sure that everyone had at least six feet uh Apart, you know, they could sit six feet apart in the break room when they when they took their lunch. Um, mm. We continued our our lunches. Um, we have a, a staff. Uh, we have a full meal program. Um, we feed everybody um, all, all day long. You can you can come in multiple times <laughs> if you want, and there's snacks and everything. But we just started repackaging things so that you know you you couldn't just like reach into the nut jar anymore. Mm-hmm. Everything's got packaged into little containers just to. Um, uh, prevent contamination. And then, you know, there's um, sanitizer at every table, every desk, um, just so all the surfaces can be sanitized at all times. Our staff is going around sanitizing doorknobs and common surfaces every 30 minutes. Um, So we just went, you know, it took extreme measures to uh, minimize any kind of um, issues. We had a couple of scares. People, Mm. you know, got sick and they thought they had COVID and then they, they got tested and they didn't. Um, but we made sure they stayed home anyway. Um, and, uh, so we've been very, very fortunate, knock on wood. Um, we're, we're grateful that we're still producing, um, and, uh, you know, meeting the needs of consumers. And of course, as a food business, um, we've seen strong sales. Um, people are now cooking at home. Uh, they're buying more and more products, you know, that are basics like butter and cheese, whether dairy or plant-based, um, and uh, and so sales have been strong for us. Um, but of course, there's been lots of challenges because yep. we were launching the new products, um, our new line of legume and oat based um, cheeses and butters. And a lot of the so-called resets at stores have been postponed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for, there was a period where Target deprioritized what they called vegetarian foods, and uh, they canceled all the orders for several weeks um, because they, you know, they were just having too much traffic in, I guess, you know, the, the conventional food department, hmm. uh, meat and dairy and such. And then they, you know, um, basically they ran out of so-called vegetarian products and they just started bringing them back in again. <laughs> so it, it's, you know, it's not, even despite things like that, our sales have been strong, but it, it's not business as usual. There's lots of challenges. Um, if I can speak for one more minute about this, um, mm-hmm. we were about to launch a big food service uh, initiative. And of course right. that just went on hold um, because unfortunately, so we pivoted and um, e-commerce has been direct to consumer has been super, super strong. Um, that has just blown up. You know, we're selling quintuple um, what we were before, which was sort of a forgotten channel for us. It was just something that we did just to keep certain consumers happy. And all of a sudden it's blowing up. And so we're trying to take care of that a lot more and seeing that as an opportunity to reconnect with our most loyal consumer base. There's so many things that you mentioned that I could <laughs> spend a lot of time on. But, you know, at a highest level, I think what you've just outlined is really sort of a playbook that you had to write while you were dealing with a crisis. I mean, no one, I think, was prepared for anything like that because it's not just one thing. Um, you mentioned so many different things. One is employee safety. The other is just to, to make sure you can keep your manufacturing running smoothly. Then you have the issue of increased demand. Then you have you know distribution challenges as well as retailers suddenly changing or deprioritizing or prioritizing your products. Um, and on top of that, if you were in food service, um, and it looks like you were just about to get into it, uh, that would obviously be a significant dip in, in, in sort of distribution and output that you would otherwise be seeing. So, uh, you know, would you say this is one of your biggest challenges you faced as uh, in your time, at least at this company? I know you've had a few other uh, experiences building companies, but... Um, you know, I think a lot of different leaders have handled it in different ways, but it sounds like you've done all the right things and maybe there's still a lot more to do. But where do you see this compared to challenges you faced in the past? Oh, my gosh, um, there there is absolutely no comparison. You know, what I would have to say is that it really proved that you really can't predict the future. Mm. You really have no idea what's going to come out of the blue, out of the left field. You know, I mean, I, I think I'd gotten to a point, maybe it was a a little bit too much complacency on my part where, you know, like I'm imagining as we do our annual operating plan and, and, you know, trying to plan the next two or three years and how we're going to grow, um, obviously not only as a, as a, a way to steer the ship, but also to, you know, reach out to investors and say, this is where we're going to be next yep. year in 2022 and this sort of thing. Um, you want to have that, that timeline, that map laid out, you know, that path that you're going to follow. And, um, we had developed something, and of course, you think about okay, if this doesn't happen, you always think about contingencies. Okay, so you know you plan out well. You're going to try to go after food service. Okay, if this doesn't happen, then this. Mm-hmm. If if we don't get into this chain, then this. So you plan for all these contingencies, and uh, and you realize that even with you know that degree of, I mean, I think everyone's if things are going so well f- for us, even with things, some things not working out it seemed like the, the the future was so rosy for us in some ways. And uh, there was a certain amount of, cer- there was certainty. There was more certainty each day as we got bigger. 
Yeah. You know, there was less risk. We were being de-risked. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and all of a sudden you realize that you have no idea what is going to happen. Uh, you know, I mean, I had thought about things like what if we had a fire or what if, uh, you know, one of the, the NorCal fires, we've mm-hmm. been spared every single year, thank God. But I mean, what if something like that happened or if there was an earthquake? Those are the kind of contingencies that, you know, I have been thinking of. Yeah. But never a pandemic, not just to us, but the entire world. Basically, the entire world is shifting. Everything is going to change. And so it makes you rethink everything. It makes you rethink your business. What is the purpose? What is the raison d'etre? What is, why are we here? What is, what is our, what are we trying to get to? What are we trying to achieve? What does success look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, not just for us, but for the entire world. You know, how do we become, re- how do we maintain relevancy as the world shifts? And you realize that you can't count on anything, that you have to, uh, you have to have a plan uh, laid out, but you have to imagine that any time something major could happen and you have to stay relevant. So it, w- what it taught me is that you have to listen to people. You have to listen to your consumers. You have to like feel the pulse mm-hmm. of the world at all times and try to understand what is it people need? Not just what do they want immediately, mm-hmm. but what is going to be ultimately best for them long-term? Because eventually if things like this continue happening, you know, people's desires will start to align with what they really need. I have one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is how we we spend most consumers, at least out in the West, um, we who are better off, uh, spend our money on things that we don't need necessarily, but kind of just want. How much of our consumer habits are just driven by just mindless mindless consumerism, mindless accumulation of things that we use to look good and feel good and and be fit into certain uh, crowds. And, you know, this event, out of the several lessons we can learn from this entire crisis is that we are just being stripped bare to what we are, what's most important to yes, us. And absolutely. And I hope it, and I hope it lasts. I mean, one, if there's any silver lining and maybe it's too early to start seeing silver linings is that I, I hope it makes people, whether it's, it's, as you just said, from a, from a standpoint of running a business to uh, thinking about what is really important and why are you even in business and why do you offer what you offer? Um, and does it really matter? Um, I think I think now it's just going to make people really focus on the essentials, and I think that word seems to keep coming up again and again. I mean, given that food is an essential service, I mean, it's something that we cannot live without, which is why you're still running uh, in this time of the crisis. Uh, brings up the point that we, you know, we really can't take things for granted, and I think you are in some ways been slightly fortunate because your company has been around for a few years. You've You've been through those early stage struggles, um, and I, I bet it's not been that easy for, say, a, someone that launched a few months ago or even a year or two ago that was banking on Expo West or uh, meeting a buyer and getting into a grocery store this uh, summer. None of that's probably going to happen to most of those companies, and so most of them might even run out of cash. So I, I do think it, it is a, it's a, it's a great opportunity for everyone to stop and and examine what truly matters to us um you know and so bringing it back to to the food industry uh what do you think is going to be the 
sort of longer term impact, what's going to shift and change? And, and I know this is a very broad question, but I'd love to to get started at that level and maybe we can then drill deeper. Sure. You know, uh, this is a long topic and I could go on and on and on. Um, but I think, you know, this is the time when everyone really is thinking about food. Everyone is cooking. Everyone is is coming back home. And they're really, there's on, on one hand, it's about what is the meaning of food? And the meaning of food is really about community. It's about breaking bread together. It's about sharing and laughing at a table together. Um, it, this is what distinguishes man from all the other animals. This is why uh, humans have created the culture and society they have. It all started out with, you know, um, maybe way back then, way back when, you know, someone forged a little bit of this and someone dug some roots and someone fished and they came together over a pot of soup. And we have had uh, the breaking of bread together um, ever since. And this, we gotten to a point where we were isolated. We were eating in front of our computers and it was, you know, pre we're going to start to realize the importance of community through food and food is what brings us together. So food is going to take on a new meaning and it's not going to be about look at my cool Instagram shot of, you know, how decadent this, whatever it is. It's not going to be about showing off so much. It's going to be more about, let me make something that I can share with you. When we get back to being able to actually connect with people in person, I think we're going to start really honoring um, the joyful conviviality that can take place across the table. So I think that's one thing, and that's going to happen with everybody. But on a bigger picture, I think this is the beginning of the end of animal agriculture. Um, this is really the, I, I think, you know, Rethink X, that, that think tank that wrote that mm -hmm. white paper about food and agriculture that predicted that animal agriculture was going to collapse in 10 to 15 years. I think this is the beginning. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, they didn't actually predict a pandemic. They said that for economic reasons, animal agriculture would no longer be viable and the number of livestock would plummet over the next 10 to 15 years. And I think that's exactly what's happening right now. I mean, look at what's happening with slaughterhouses. Um, those, those cruel conditions under which those workers have to work um, it, it proved to be uh, just completely unviable. It's not like all these other you know, food processing plants are having to shut down um, because thousands of workers are sick. But the meat industry is having to shut down their slaughterhouses. And of course, now Trump says, you know, the, the heartless soul that he is says uh, he's going to send people to their, uh, their a death sentence by saying, no, you an executive order. You have to go and work at the slaughterhouse. Now, what if there's an uproar of people protest? Those slaughterhouses are going to shut down one by one. They will shut down, which means there's going to be an 80 percent reduction in meat availability. And then prices are going to go up and then people won't be able to afford to buy it, which means that only a, a portion of people will buy. It. People will start turning to plant based products. They'll have to start. They'll have to go back to how we have been eating for most of mankind's history, for most of humankind's history to eating legumes and grains and potatoes and vegetables um, where, you know, meat was the food of the rich. And it, I think it's going to go back to that. And then what's going to happen is people are going to get healthy. Mm. They're going to get healthy and then national health care costs are going to plummet and um, we're going to become a healthier, happier nation. So that, that's my my positive, happy outlook uh, uh, <laughs> on the future. But I think, you know, this is it, who who would have thought a, a virus was going to uh, create um, a revolution in how humans eat. But I think it will it this will definitely be the time for change. This is the moment that 
uh, we can make a difference. So if we're not confident that that's going to happen, this is where the plant-based industry pulls together and we create that future. We force that future. This is the opportunity. Yeah, I think you've said that so well. I think we've, in the last few years, been sort of going towards the future where people care about health and nutrition. They care about where their food comes from and transparency. And, you know, things have been moving along at a pretty rapid pace for the plant-based food industry overall in terms of growth. But I'm starting, I, I completely agree with you that this is sort of the accelerant that we needed to and I'm not saying it in an opportunistic way, but more from a standpoint that this crisis is starting to unravel and reveal uh, the truth, whether you want to see it or not. And that's that, right. And that truth could be, you know, as as simple, which is becoming apparent if you read the news, especially this week, uh, that slaughterhouses are just inefficient and don't care about the worker conditions and are just an archaic, absurd system. We've known that for years, but people who didn't want to see it are being forced to confront that issue now. That's because, exactly right. Because all the consolidation in the meat industry is now leading to the fact that if if majority of Tyson's uh, slaughter, I mean, pro- meat processing plants shut down, it is going to impact the food supply because they control a majority of it. So anyone... like. Uh, unlike you and I who probably read books about this topic, and you've obviously been talking about this for years now, decades, uh, most people don't know this stuff or maybe not willing to see this. But now the reality is if you end up going to the grocery store and there is a meat shortage, especially if the news is suddenly starting to report about why is it that slaughterhouses are hotbeds for uh, COVID-19 because of the way they work and the way they treat their workers – it is going to lead to further questions. And that's just one side of the the, uh, the the issue, right? On the other end, and maybe this hasn't been talked about enough yet, uh, and maybe it's still early, but let's not, let's not ignore the fact that where do viruses come from? Where did this virus most likely come from? And where could the next potential uh, virus come from? It could easily come from any slaughterhouse, any poultry meat processing plant in this country and it's it's not just about bats and wild animals in places like china it could happen right here in america i think we're in the early stages of this unraveling and that may sound supremely profound the way i'm trying to say it but i think we're in the early stages of that happening and the question is will people really see it and and i don't know the answer to that yet I think they will. I think we are on the early in the early stages of this unraveling of animal agriculture. And I think people are beginning to see it. I mean, because of the slaughterhouses closing down, articles are all over the news. You know, they're all over the media. Everyone's reading it now. Mm-hmm. So people, you're absolutely right. You know, it's, people didn't want to. It was the vegans that that knew about what was going on, the animal rights activists. But now everyone's being forced to confront what is happening in the slaughterhouses and why they're so so cruel and unsafe and unsanitary. So it's a perfect opportunity to get even more information about that out there. And, you know, there's some great writers um, that uh, can help expose that as well. So that's a, that's a great opportunity. I think, you know, people are going to be aghast when they find that there's an executive order and people are forced to go back to work and the death rate even uh, gets higher. Um, there's going to be, I think, public outrage at some point. So I think, you know, they're they're basically um, shooting themselves. Uh, it's 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 sort of uh, it's suicide. Um, 
uh, both of the Trump administration and um, the the slaughterhouses. So um, I think that's that's going to happen. Um, but this is definitely the beginning. We don't know where things are going to go, but this is not something that's going to be over. We're not going to get back to normal in a couple of months. Um, th- that's not the way it is. This is a much longer term thing. Um, and let's talk about the zoonotic diseases, which you um, just uh, intimated. And, uh, you know, I think that's getting out there as well, too. Um, I, did you see the Bill Maher piece? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, that's been getting out there. Um but it, it's very, very clear that, you know, since the 1960s, apparently all these diseases that we we suffered, uh, H1N1, um, bird flu, swine flu, you know, even going back to the Spanish flu, which started apparently at a Kansas chicken farm. Yeah. Um, they're all because we hold animals in confinement in unnatural settings and do all kinds of things to them. And of course, they're going to be stressed. and They're going to have diseases. Um, and uh the more we do that, the sicker we're going to be. It's it's karma. It's you know we what we do to uh, you cause someone to suffer, you're eventually going to suffer. Um, and so it it will give people pause to think about what is what does that mean? You know, um, how can we create? It, it will make people begin to think about a more humane food system. Um, I I think though it's just getting out there. We're just at that very, very early stage of discussing the origins of these diseases. And um, we have to keep talking about it. Um, it's getting out there in the news. People are going to start thinking about their food choices. And, and you know, this time around, I think the difference here is that we've already, over the last six, seven, maybe your last decade, I suppose, we can say that um, we know Americans have become a little bit more aware about where their food comes from. Plant-based foods are more popular than ever before. Uh, meat consumption, while not on the decline, people are definitely trying to uh, mix up their consumption of protein and choose more plant-based options. So we know all those facts are true, but I think it it now sort of highlights the importance of building a very resilient food system. And I think it makes it really important for us to build a resilient plant-based food industry. So I want to kind of bring it back to how we can best position companies because, you know, let's be honest, a lot of the companies in the plant-based food space are early stage startups and may not have been in the position or may not be in the position to survive this, uh, this, this crisis. And they're going to probably have trouble in the short term raising capital. They are probably going to be facing staffing challenges. Uh, we we don't know what kind of challenges that, that lie ahead for the industry overall. And while, you know, some companies are better positioned than others, I guess my question would be, how do you think the industry as a whole, companies that are focused on building a more just, humane, um, and sustainable food system, how can they work together to join forces, to help each other out, to make sure that they can sort of come out the out at the other end of this specific crisis better prepared to meet this rising demand for better foods? Yeah, you know, I think, first of all, um, in terms of new product launches or an emerge, you know, a, a, a brand new startup trying to get their their foot in the door with retailers, um, I do think this is a temporary hiccup in terms of um, the system uh, stalling. Um, I think that um, 
we are going to go back to some sort of trade show. Um, it's not, it's probably, I don't know if Expo East is actually going to happen mm -hmm. in the fall. Uh, I know we're planning on it, but I think Expo West will happen in 2021. I think we're going to, uh, you know, it, things are going to return to semi-normal in terms of uh, business opportunities for, for young startups. But I think right now, this is the time where uh, we have to take our businesses online as much as possible and create communities online. And so if you're a startup, you know, you're going to have to rethink how you get your product out there. I think there's going to be a lot more DTC. Mm -hmm. um, and consumers are willing to listen to people with a story, with a story and a reason um, of, for a better life. So it, there's going to be a, a fast pivot that's going to be needed because it's not going to be the same old, you know, get into a retailer, get into a distributor, get into retailers. Um, we're going to have to build demand um, directly with consumers and the consumers are, are online now. They're asked, they're looking for solutions. They want solutions. You know, they're confused. So this is an opportunity to tell a story and to get, to provide a solution to people, those, to those who are looking. Um, so we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, but I think there's also going to be opportunities opening up regionally for startups to get their products into, you know, at some point we're, we're going to get tired of the big conventional um, companies that are doing really well right now, you know, the crafts of the world. And um, people are going to listen to companies that are, that have that authentic story. I think buyers at, at regional stores are going to become more sensitive to um, the things that will help us get us out of the mess that we're, we got ourselves into. And so it, you know, wait a few months, there'll be an opportunity to tell your story to regional buyers. Um, but then on a bigger picture, I think there's something that the plant-based foods association can do. Um, and it's beginning to do things like that, but there's, we need to um, have more cohesive programs to represent um, the the younger emerging companies that can't get you know instead of everyone onto you know just unto himself going out there trying to knock on doors mm -hmm. some sort of comprehensive program that can go to a retailer and say these there's a whole bunch of new brands here there's 30 new brands that have these great products um you know kind of like a broker yeah that you know where the pbfa can sort of be like a broker for plant-based uh, products uh for younger brands um, to help them get their foot in the door. Um, and the PBFA is really gaining traction as the experts in the area. Um, and so I think, you know, there's an opportunity for a trade association to help younger brands in in that manner. Yeah, no, I think you're so right about um, the role they can play at this point. I mean, you know, you mentioned this earlier too, if, if anything on a personal level, as well as that, if you look at industries, you're seeing the importance of community emerging, right? And and I think the ones that will um, get through this are the ones that are going to work together. Um, and I think you, you can no longer, you can kind of go at it on your own if you want to, if you're in a position to do so. But sooner or later, this is just the, the reality of, of life in the world. You're going to learn that you're going to grow faster if you grow together. And I think, especially now where we have this uh where, where people are struggling, but also we have the chance to um, join forces and do something really impactful in the years ahead. I think we're going to see community emerging. And I think here's where, again, uh, it just so happens that 
uh, at least the way I see it, this entire sub-segment of the food industry, you can almost look at vegan, plant-based as being a sub-segment of the natural food industry, but now it's kind of becoming its own thing, really has been, it, it wouldn't have reached the point it has today if it wasn't for community. And I think for most people who have not traced its history, um, I've done that dirty work, which is uh, look at where this, where these companies emerged, who were, the, who were the founders, why were they inspired to start the companies, yourself included. Uh, you will realize that it all comes from a point of they've all had their own aha moments, realizing that the food that they were eating was not the kind of food that was going to support a sustainable, a humane, a just food system. And they decided to change. And then they decided to become sort of... Um, change makers in their own right uh, and go about starting companies. And it has been collaboration and partnerships that has gotten us to this point. And perhaps, you know, in, a, in some ways, I've been a little cynical in the last uh, few months, especially because of, you know, plant-based is all the rage right now. And if you've heard past episodes of my podcast, I often have been slightly critical of the fact that there's way too much money going around and people are starting companies for the wrong reasons. Um, and I don't mean by that is that you should only start the company because of plant-based food company because you want to save the world. You can do it if you just want to get rich. That's fine. But I feel like I, I was starting to see a new wave of entrepreneurs come around that were just launching products in specific categories with the intention of having a really quick exit. Well, those plans are all going to fail now, most likely, because the ones that are truly going to last are the ones that have a long-term view that, like you said in the, you said earlier on, are going to focus on things that people truly need versus these quick bandwagon jumping uh, shiny objects that will hopefully get acquired by a big food company in the short term. So, you know, coming back to to what has made plant-based food and whether it's the the vegan community that initially led to this point, what is going to take us to the next level is going to be that collaboration. And I and I don't know what form that takes. It could be, you know, joining forces to get, you know, better negotiations uh, with distribution companies and uh, or it is whether it's shared resources or it's creating new platforms or coalitions. I think we need to consider all of this at this point. Um, but I think you're so right that community is going to be what is going to make companies and individuals really shine and survive in the long term in this new post-COVID-19 world that we're going to be living in? No, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, we have to start thinking about together, not just, you know, um, collaboration from tactical business standpoints, but what kind of world do we want to create? Um, And how do we go in that direction together? Um, and I think you're really right. What you talked about, some entrepreneurs jumping onto the bandwagon because they read some spins report, they read some market research that said that, you know, this category was really hot and who cares? I mean, you know, that's not, I, I get people writing to me all the time. I have, you know, employees are like, this study says we should be in this category or whatever. Like, well, that's all in the past. You know, so any, any survey, any study, any research, it's all based on the past. Um, and how, what's the best way to predict the future is to create the future, um, as Peter Drucker says. And so, you know, we I mean, we need to create the future. I mean, that that's always been clear. And that was 
that's what I've been struggling for is I want to, I want to revolutionize dairy. I want to overhaul the dairy category. I want, you know, um, I want dairy to go away. Sorry, but that's, that's the, that's the reality. And the only way to get, make dairy to go away, you're not going to get people's desire for dairy to go away. People are going to still want cheese. They want something gooey. They want, you know, they want their, their sour cream. They're going to want their milk. They're going to want their butter. They're going to want all those things. So we have to replace all of those. Uh, we have to replace that. That's and it, it, one company can't do it. We need many companies. We need many brands so we can take over that entire set. So you know now you've got not just the alternative set, but you've got um, an entire aisle of all these options for cheese. There's plenty of room for everyone to succeed because we can have millions and millions of consumers buying this stuff. So you know, that, you know, we have to figure out like, what kind of world are we envisioning? Are we yeah. envisioning a world that's based on animals? Or are we envisioning a world that's based on equity and justice for all living beings? And if that's what we're going after, then we have to work towards that world. It's not a quick fix. It's not, I'm going to come up with this little snack and then I'm <laughs> going to get out in a couple of years. I mean, who cares? That's, yeah. that's, that's not, a, that's not a mover and shaker. You know, we have to become movers and shakers, all of us. Because that's how many, that's what it's going to take. Yeah, I know. Often, you know, I, I, when I talk to folks who are new to this world of plant-based foods, uh, whether it's traditional venture capitalists or um, food industry professionals who've been at it for decades and, and now are seeing the quote-unquote opportunity in plant-based, uh, often the, the criticism they tend to lobby towards some of some companies and some entrepreneurs and some of uh, what is actually the ones who have actually brought us to the point we are is that they're they're idealists. They all are about saving the world. Uh, maybe they don't use the word hippie anymore, but they do say that they are too passion driven. Where they don't see, they don't necessarily see business opportunities, and they are sort of blinded by their desire to bring about change and. If anything, you know, the more I sit with this in, time, in the last month or so, since I've been kind of just watching what's happening in the world. It makes me realize, and I think you just kind of said that too, is that the, the I th- feel like the good guys are going to prevail here, which is eventually uh, you realize all these short-term opportunities, whether it's, you know, quick exits or um, whether it's finding a category that has a uh, high growth potential uh, are not the things that are going to matter right now. And it's the ones that truly have, are driven by a much, and this may sound slightly corny, but driven by a much higher purpose are the ones who are going to make the right decisions and are going to build robust businesses as a result. Now, I'm not saying by any means that you shouldn't be a smart business person. That goes without saying you shouldn't get and start a company if that's, that's, that's something you don't know much about. But at the same time, I feel like if you're driven solely by, uh, say, a, a quick uh, short-term gain, you're probably going to face a significant challenge uh, in the in the coming years. So I, I do I sense that again that the the ones who are in it for the right reasons are truly the ones who are going to have they're also going to have the resilience to outlast the others. Bottom line is throughout history. No revolution was ever won by wishy-washy tactics. Mm-hmm. You know, revolutions were won by by passionate people who 
had a goal in mind, which was, you know, whether it was to abolish slavery or uh, achieve equity for women or whatever it was, it was always about justice. It wasn't about, you know, how am I going to make money off of slavery? It was about how do I achieve, how do we achieve a, a, an equitable, a just uh, system for all? So revolutions are won by people that are trying to do the just thing, that are thinking about um, doing the right thing. And that's what they're passionate about. Um, and uh, food is a is a form of activism. I mean, we're at a point in history where we have to do something about our food choices, or we're 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 you know we're just going to repeat this pandemic, mm-hmm. or uh, major climate change disruption, um, or another pandemic, and it's just going to continue. So we're going to have to wake up and figure out how we change that. And that's got to be the the major purpose behind any brand. Um, it, you know, you've got to be working towards that. It can't just be, um, you know, I'm going to get that quick win and and get out of here. I mean, that's that's great. But ultimately, you know, I I I just don't care if you're a great business person and you've had several successful businesses. I care whether or not you're providing a solution for people that is going to ensure a better world. Um, That's, that's ultimately what we're looking for. And we're going to see changes all around. It's not just about food, you know, it's about petroleum use. It's about everything. It's about, you know, we are going to get down to essentials. People are going to very beginning of where we started this conversation. People are going to think about what do I really need to be happy? What is, you know, what, what really ultimately Mm -hmm. is meaningful to me? Yeah, and it, it, you know, it takes like no one could have predicted where we are right now, but I think it's going to make people realize that um, if you're not making things better, you are part of the problem. And I think people truly have a better understanding of what having a problem is now because of the crisis that we're facing. And so, anything that we can do to prevent something like this in the future, I'm guessing majority of people are going to want to support. So, just if that. If that's the only thing that comes out of this is people just start to realize we need to be voting with our dollars and paying money for things that actually improve the world and improve our safety and our health rather than put us at further risk, then I think we then 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 maybe this this turmoil and this struggle that everyone's facing uh, will hopefully lead to something better. So, but in the short term, yes, let's acknowledge that people are suffering and struggling. And and kind of coming back to where we began is that everyone should do what they can to help because we we kind of need to get through this rough batch and hopefully on the other side of this, uh, we will then be able to assess where, where we went wrong and hopefully all work towards making something much better uh, for, for decades ahead, not just for the short term. Well, all of economy has to change. I mean, all these people that have no access to food, we have to change the food system, absolutely. The distribution channels, how we do that, maybe decentralize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it we're going to have to have more localization of foods uh, across the world um, to ensure that people can eat. I mean, that's the basic thing. People need access to um, healthy food. And there's going to be less. And I think there's going to be, you know, in certain countries like the United States and, and certain parts of the world, there's still going to be a lot of CPG companies, but we're Mm -hmm. also going to have to strip away a lot of the non-essential CPG companies, um, consumer packaged goods, and and really return to 
um, how people have eaten for thousands of years through localized economies and growing crops and feeding each other and bartering and things like that. So it, this is a huge conversation. This is We have a lot to think about in recreating a food system that's equitable and fair for all that can ensure that you know, we, don't, we no longer have world hunger. Um, and this pandemic is only going to make things worse, right? Um, you know, but um, we've got to help. Um, we've got hunger in the developed world as as well as the underdeveloped world, and and we've got to just overhaul the entire system. And it that's not there's not going to be a place for for animals in that. Well, Miyoko, I'm glad we could take the time today to sit and chat about this. Um... And I'm glad I could get you on to f- be the first um, guest to really address this specific topic and, and the crisis that we're facing right now. Um, good luck to you and the company and all your employees. And and I'm excited to work together to, to hopefully get more people to see the truth and the reality of our broken food system and then start working together to build a better one. Thank you so much, Neil. It was really fun talking to you. been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nils Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.